Good morning, church. It is a honor uh, to 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 be here. Uh, certainly wish that uh, there were more that I was, more of you that I was looking at, but I know that through technology, um, many are able to to listen, which is uh, really quite incredible. And reminds me, as I was thinking this morning, just reminds me that God's word cannot be stopped. And so, so we will preach the word. And, uh, and we know that God will, will do with it uh, as he will, and he will do great and wonderful things. And so today's, it brings you to today's passage, which uh, as I was listening to a book from, from a, a Christian financial advisor, his name is uh, Dave Ramsey. Anyway, I was listening to a, a book from him, and he brings up this passage as one of the most often misquoted passages in the Bible when it comes to finances. So I look at that and I think, okay, uh, no pressure, no pressure here. It just uh, has the potential to be the most misquoted ever. So with that, I'm actually going to pray one more time because I think, I think I really need that and we need it. So Father, we, we come before you and, and again, just thank you so much that, that you are here and that your word will not be stopped. We thank you that we're in this place in Luke for a reason. And we pray that uh, through your words, I pray my words would be yours and that lives would be uh, changed and we would see what you would have us do. And so we love you, Lord, and uh, pray for, for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is actually a really good passage to, to wrestle with. What is Jesus asking for? What is Jesus asking for in the context of people that, are, that have money and that can be considered rich? Is it okay to have possessions? How does it fit together? I loved having this passage to dive into, and I think you'll find it deeply applicable to our lives and hopefully it will lead to a deeper understanding of what it means to follow Christ. I hope we can take this to not only hear, but also take action. And as we start thinking through some big questions, some big answers, I actually think this passage is going to get us to, to be thinking about and answering the deepest of questions, which is, what is life all about and I've named this, this message Big Questions, Big Answers, because that's what we're going to cover. Um, and again, and that, that question of what is life all about, even though it's not directly in the passage, I think it is still answered. So even though that's not the question that's being asked, I think that's still being answered. And, and this, this question is, uh, what is the chief end of man? What is the point? What's the point of it all? And, and, and the best answer that we have for that. Uh, it comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it goes like this. It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Man's chief end, our purpose, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Some would say it is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So for some, deep questions like this are often thought through as life is examined. You just naturally, uh, naturally think through some of these questions. For others, maybe the current situation, some, some, some that Dave mentioned in the beginning with what's happening or COVID, so much going on. Maybe some of the, the current situations have brought these kinds of deeper questions to, to mind. What is life all about? My friends, my family, my job, what's the point? Or maybe you've never thought about it like this. And that's okay too. I think today you, you, there will be a lot in here for you as well. You, today, for everyone, we're going to see a couple of questions that are applicable to all and answered by Jesus for all. Very much like the question, what is the chief end of man? 
I believe the answers we get to today are going to help us to understand what it is glorifying to God. And therefore, it's a bit of this how-to manual to, to, that, uh, to that giant question. So let's get to this how-to guide. Okay, so we're going to dive into the passage as follows. So there'll be two questions and two answers. How does one get eternal life? Or how does one receive eternal life? And the big answer there is going to be, well, it's different than one may think. And then we'll have another big question that follows on, which is, can anyone be saved? Given that answer, can anyone be saved? And the big answer we're going to see is that it's actually impossible. But yes. So we'll get there. With all that, we're going to dive into our passage, and it's Luke 18, 18 to 30. So I encourage you, it's, I'm going to read it. It's, it's a little bit long. I encourage you to grab a Bible, grab your phone that has a Bible on it, um, and, uh, and, and let's please follow along. I'm reading from the ESV, uh, but many, many versions will do. And it goes like this, Luke 18, 18 through 30. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? That's that second question. But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to him, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Wow, what a great, what a great passage. What a great passage. We're going we're gonna to go in bit by bit and, and follow along. But lest... You're, you're, you're left on the edge of your seat wondering about what this is going to be all about. What is, what's Greer going to say? What does the Bible say here? I'm going to start with the summary. So I'm just going to give you the answer right in the beginning. So if you take nothing else away, take this. Ready? Ready? Okay. To inherit eternal life with God, we have to rely completely and utterly on God. That's it. I'm going to say it again. To inherit eternal life with God, we have to rely completely and utterly on God. And if we come back to where we started, and if our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, then any form of glorifying God means that no matter our social and financial position, we have to place God above all else, relying on Him fully. And by the way, this too is a gift from God alone. Let me say it another way. So, and I, I really love this, this example. I, I picked it up along the way. So think about the best 
best Christmas gift you've ever received. Or maybe it wasn't at Christmas, maybe it was your birthday or another time. Kids, I think you're really good at this. Uh, so you can think, you know, maybe, maybe even like the night before, you were really excited. You knew, you knew it was coming. You, you walked down the stairs or you walked into the living room or wherever it might be. And, and there it is, like this, this, this beautiful gift. It's the, the bicycle you've always wanted or... I don't know, maybe the, that, that iPad you've always dreamed of. Uh, but how did you, like, how did you react, right? So when you saw that, of course, like, you, you enjoy the gift, right? But did you go to the gift and say, gift, like, I praise you. Like, you're so amazing. You have all my love. Or did you look to the gift giver? Did you show gratitude to the one that gave you the gift, all right, so we're going to be talking about the same things here. Okay, you don't want to be worshiping the gift. It's fine to enjoy the gift. You want to worship the giver. You don't want to hold on tightly to the gift. You really want to hold on to the giver. You want to look at the source. Right? That's, that's what should be receiving our worship. So we're going to jump into the passage now, which is look at that first big questions Big answers, and the first question it goes like this, and it's in verse 18, and it says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a great question. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to have great questions. Inherit eternal life. This is referring to being in heaven forever with God. And I put a picture up there as I'm talking about heaven. That isn't a picture of heaven. Uh, it's actually really hard to search the internet and find a picture of heaven. Uh, you actually will have a really hard time. But it's a nice landscape. It kind of brings those kinds of images to, to mind for me. Uh, so what is heaven like? like? What is this prize? Like, Is it worthwhile to be thinking about eternal life? Well, Revelation 21 verses 3 to 4 is just one place that gives us a glimpse And here's what what that passage says. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How appropriate is that in, in today's times? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Again, how appropriate. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. For those that missed it, that passage is in Revelation 21, verses 3 to 4. It's a great, great passage. That is what heaven will be like. Another passage where we get a glimpse is in Psalm 1611. And it says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. At God's hand, at God's right hand, where we're with him forever, there are pleasures forevermore. There's no more crying, no more mourning, no more death. Every tear is wiped away from our eyes. And that is incredible. It's much better than a particular picture that I could, that I could find online. So, it's a great question. Really great question. Uh, what do you do to inherit eternal life? What is that chief end of man? Another, like, how do I get the prize? 
Now, even the question overall that the rich young ruler that this, that this, that this man brought forward, even though that question is great, uh, we already have hints at some issues in particular with, with his heart, with the heart of the one asking. So he starts by saying, good teacher. And he was just using flattery here. He wasn't being uh, genuine. This wasn't a usual way to, to address someone in the culture of the day. And we'll see in a sec just how Jesus responds even to that point. And, so, and then he also says, what must I do? Right? He's looking to do something. He's looking for, that, for the treasure map he can follow or maybe like a complex set of tools. Right? So, so he's looking, okay, like what, like what, what do I do here uh, to earn my way into heaven? What are the things like, what, what do I do? How do I earn my way into heaven? He, this, was, you know, this was actually a young ruler, likely a synagogue ruler from that time, and he's looking to earn his way into heaven, to earn that eternal life we're talking about by doing something. So whereas we shouldn't, I don't want us to shy away from doing works to honor and glorify God, from doing things to honor God, so we don't need to shy away from that, but that isn't how one inherits eternal life. Okay, so now it's, it's set up. We have a very good question, which deserves a perfect answer. And who better to give it than the one who is truly and fully good, like the good doctor we've been talking about in Luke, someone that, who is truly and fully good and God and knows perfectly. So let's see how Jesus answers. And in verses 19 through, through 21 is where, where we're going to look now for, for that first answer. And it says, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I've kept from my youth, yo. No, he just says, All these things I've kept from my youth. So, in verses 19 to 20, Jesus says, why do you call me good? I, when I first read that, it's like, oh man, like, Jesus is good. That, that's, that's strange to me that Jesus answered that way. But the reason that he does, he says, because this was flattery, rather than truly believing Jesus is God, Jesus calls him out on it. And he just shows that that true title of good is for God alone. Note that Jesus isn't saying that that title shouldn't be applied to him but just that the man that asked the question wasn't applying it correctly. Jesus is looking under the surface, and, um, and that's, again, that's not how the ruler meant it. Then Jesus actually answers the question plainly, which is great. Jesus engages. He says, hey, here are a few of the commandments, which you know well. Go do those, right? Do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. So there's like, he gives him five of the Ten Commandments, says, hey, go do those. And I love, I really love the, the whole interaction, but, but even here you start to see that Jesus knew the man was trying to justify himself. He wasn't trying to, and really ready to receive an answer. And even though Jesus knew all of that, he answered and engaged anyway. He took the time, Jesus took the time to help this rich young ruler, even though the young man's heart was in the wrong place. Jesus takes the time. He's sowing, he, he always shows incredible graciousness 
in overlooking our faults. Now, we already know, since we read the whole passage already, we already know that Jesus is trying to show the man that he was deceived and was trying to show him that he isn't able to keep even those few commandments, let alone all of them. It's important to say at this point that Jesus wasn't trying to say that, hey, like it's actually possible for you to do these things. Or even that anyone can be saved by, by doing things by themselves. Again, Jesus was just working his way to pointing out to this man uh, the error of his ways. We know from Romans 3.20, for example, that uh, uh, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So again, it's not that Jesus is saying, yeah, this is actually possible, go do those. Again, he's, he's, he's uh, logically working through it with, with this man. All that being said, it is true that if a man perfectly complied with the requirements of the law, he would be saved. There would be no reason why he should be condemned. However, this is, of course, impossible. We can't actually do that. Jesus saw that this man was depending on his works, and he just told him that, hey, if you want to enter into that life, you must keep the commandments you must keep them perfectly. And if you do that, you will be saved. Again, not saying it's possible, but pointing out to, to this man. So how does, how, pointing out to this man just, just sort of the, the error of his way. Now, how does the young man actually respond? I love this. Easy, easy. I've done all of these from my youth. Look at me. Like, how, like, Check, check, check. Like, I've done him. Yeah, sure. And I wonder, though, before we look too, too down on, on, on this rich young ruler, have we ever done that? I'm, I'm sure, like, I have. Right? Check, check. I've done good here. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, this man was, was thinking, like, yeah, I'm better than everyone else, or at the very least, I'm better than most. Two weeks ago, we looked at another Pharisee in Luke 18, um, in earlier in Luke 18. And this Pharisee was so thankful that he wasn't like others and that he gave tithe. So uh, in, in, in verses 10 to 11 in Luke 18, so a little bit uh, earlier in, in your Bible, it says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. But who left justified that day? Who left right with God? It was the sinner. It was the one who knew how far he was from God, the one who simply said and felt, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's, that's very similar to, to the rich young ruler that, that we see today. From a commentary, I got this that, that I, think is, uh, I think just really helps. And it goes like this. It says, The rich ruler listens to the master with something like an impatient surprise. There's a ring, ring of concealed indignation is, All these I've kept. What do you take me for? I'm a religious, God-fearing Jew. From my childish days, I've kept these. Kept these? How little the poor questioner knew the secrets of his own heart. Yet had he answered Jesus in the true spirit of a Pharisee, trained carefully in the rabbinic schools, 
So he answered just like a Pharisee. And we, we knew this is the heart of a Pharisee in general. In one of the, in the Talmud, which is this, uh, uh, this, uh, this compilation of historic rabbis that are discussing or debating uh, some, some of the Bible, uh, so from, from this tradition, uh, we know that one of the Pharisees, when he was dying, one of the rabbis, when he was dying, get this, he said to the angel of death, go, fetch me the book of the law and see whether there's anything in it which I have not kept. I said, that's the, that's the, that's the kind of mindset here. That's the kind of heart. And, and you think of that, and you're like, well, Greer, like we've, we've strayed away maybe pretty far. Like no one, no one's that bad. No, no one thinks like that anymore. Well, before you throw it away and you think that I could never be like this rich young ruler, be sure to just examine yourself as we go. There might be pieces where we're like that. Certainly for me, as I was thinking through this, there are definitely places. So, so do you tend to be like this, trying to earn favor with God, trying to work your way to eternal life? Maybe. So now... With all that, with all that set up, Jesus follows on. When Jesus, in verses 22 to 25, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, okay, okay, all right, here we go. Uh, Now we're cooking with gasoline, as they they say. All right, Uh, sell everything, sell everything. This can be a passage that can be misquoted and misunderstood in so many ways, especially when it comes to applying to our own lives. This is that piece that can be so greatly misquoted. So we really, we need to take a deeper look. And so, and I'll start with love. And the reason I say that is that Jesus' answer here starts with love for the person. In a parallel passage uh, in the Gospel of Mark, we're told that Jesus looking at him. Now, remember all the setup, all the pharisaical thoughts and beliefs that that I just mentioned. Jesus knowing all that, he looked at him, and it says in Mark that he loved him. And he said to him, so he loved him, and he answers. We see Jesus' heart. He doesn't blow him off. He takes the time. He teaches with kindness and with love. Man, what a great pattern for us to follow, right? Like whether it's our, our, our children or friends or coworkers or, or family or people on the other side of the political divide, where whichever side you may, you may be on, whatever it is, like it is love. You start whatever you might be with love for the person. What a great pattern. It is loving for Jesus to not let the lost remain lost. It is loving for us to do the same and to help people with their sin issues and point them to God. Jesus, of course, of course, he's the master here and knew his heart 
and right away pointed to the biggest issue that this man had. And so now, it's really important for us, lest we misinterpret, to know that the answer itself is specific to the man. There's broad application, but the answer is specific to the man. I'm going to quote a different commentary that says, As riches were his idol, our Lord, who knew it from the start, lays his great authoritative grasp at once upon it, saying, Now give me up that, and all is right. No general direction about the disposal of riches then here is given, save that we are to sit loose to them and lay them at the feet of him who gave them. He who does this with all he has, whether rich or poor, is a true heir of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, this is it. Like, th- th- that's what it's about, right? Like, we are to sit loosely and lay them at the feet of him who gave them. Now, let's... I, I really don't want to fly through the, the financial aspect of it because there's a lot in here about, about money. And so, so I think I, we will spend time right now uh, to cover... Uh, to cover some, some principles that, that I think are really important. Um, this is a, uh, you know, a, a picture of a, of a bank account. It, it is not mine. I'm not sure whose it is. I've got it on the internet, so hopefully they're okay with me sharing it. Uh, but, uh, but again, I will, I, will, I will clear the air to the world in general, like I said earlier, to people in general, to the rich in general, the command is not necessarily to sell all. Okay, so if you have a balance sheet that looks something like that, it's okay. Like, it's okay to have money. If you have money, that's great. God has given that to you. Handle it well. Handle it well. Um, but, but it is okay to have it. And the reason I say this is, well, there's, there's a lot of reasons I say that. I'm going to start with 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. And, and it says this for the Rich. This is directed to the rich. It says, as for the rich in this present age, okay, what? Charge them not to be haughty, as in arrogantly superior, like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm better than you because, you know, look at my, you know, look at my balance sheet, like I'm, I'm, I'm so good. No. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So, you are to rely on God, not on your riches. You are to do good, you are to be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. It's not saying that for everyone with riches, you should somehow become financially poor. In many cases, that could be simply be completely irresponsible so for the rich young ruler it's about the money because that's where his love is it's about where he is placing his trust and his love and of course we're told in 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 first timothy 6 10 says for the love of money not money the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. So Jesus points out, right, that he was breaking even the most, that this person was breaking even the most basics of commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. 
there are, there are issues, folks. Like there are issues when you place others or other things like wealth or relationships or anything before God. Those things are not bad. They're not bad. In fact, they can be giant blessings. All from God. But not if you place them above God. There's always a tension, and, and we see this in many places in the Bible. There's a tension here, though, because sometimes, in some respects, it's easier to realize how deeply you need God when you have fewer possessions. I think that's true. But you can still make money an idol even when you have less and can't handle it. Guess what? If you're not able to handle a little, you won't be great at much either. So in either case, the point is about where you put your trust and what you're relying on, regardless of your financial situation. In the example at hand, the ruler definitely put his trust in, in his riches. So let's be sure to heed the man, to heed the warning for this man and every rich person to whom this applies. Okay, now, I showed some pretty big numbers on the slide, and there's this Scrooge-like looking man with lots of gold, and you say, well, Gria, this doesn't apply to me, okay? Like, I'm not rich like this man was. I don't have great possessions. This does, like, what? Like, this doesn't apply to me. Or the last 10 minutes, eh, okay. Well, let's, let's actually level set a little bit, a little bit more. And let's go a little bit further on being rich. Now, looking at America... Who is rich in America? This was actually surprisingly difficult for me to find in a crisp way that, that, I, could, that, I, that I could show. So I'm going to use a few different data points. Uh, I'm not even going to put them up on the screen just because um, just they're a little bit all over the place. But you, you could be thinking, all right, where do I fall in this, in this spectrum? So here, here's a few that, I, that I'll throw at you. A couple of years ago, um, the Pew Research Center looked at what it means to be upper class in America. Uh, so rich, you know. For a household of one, uh, they, they came up with if you make more than $78,000 a year. For a household of four, it was if you make more than $156,000 a year. Okay, that's one study, some numbers. Uh, in 2018, it said there was a different study. Uh, average wages in America were $63,000 a year. Another number. And then yet another study said that... Uh, if you are under $34,000 a year in America, you're in the, in the um, you, I'm sorry, if you are above $34,000 a year in America, you're actually pretty well off, according to, to this, this other study. Okay, so big spectrum, all the way from like $34,000 to, you know, to, to $63,000 to one fifty six, dollars and, and you, may, you may place somewhere on that scale. And, and maybe you can say, well, even there, like, okay, I'm, I'm, like, I'm not rich. I'm somewhere in the middle, wherever you might be. But let's expand. Let's expand just a little bit more. Okay? So we have America. But you don't have to research too deeply to see that in the world, our standards of living are really high compared to many places. And even if our wages are in the bottom 90% of Americans that would still make you to be considered quite rich by most world standards. Now, this is fun. This are, these are some pictures from, uh, from Cape Town. This is where I used to live. I was there between ages 11 to, through 18. And uh, it's a really beautiful place. 
a, a beautiful place. So Cape Town is famous for, for many things. Uh, it's got this uh, table mountain. Uh, this is that, that mountain that's sort of to the top of the screen. Uh, it's flat, unlike anything in the world. What an incredible view, just, just to be able to look at that. Um, I remember when we landed in Cape Town and, uh, and arriving and, and driving towards where we we're going to stay, and, and I, was, I looked back through the windshield and I saw Table Mountain, and I just thought, man, what, a, what an incredible, unique view. That's beautiful. I'm going to remember that forever about Cape Town. We actually, we lived in an area called Table View because you could see that mountain uh, from it. So it was really beautiful. Cape Town also has, so the, the bottom picture is of this waterfront area. Uh, it's this beautiful shopping area. I certainly spent some time there as a, as a teenager. Uh, pizza, ice cream, all those kinds of things I still remember now, many, many, many years later. Uh, so, but uh, anyway, so, so Cape Town, on the other side of the world, uh, beautiful place, and, and, and I think famous for at least Table Mountain, maybe some of the, these other things. What else is Cape Town known for, and where I didn't, fortunately, spend a lot of time as a teen? Well, Cape Town is actually also famous for townships. These living areas squeeze a lot of people in terrible living conditions together. So it doesn't take much of an imagination to figure out that running water, clean environment, and often basic necessities like are things that many would consider that would make them rich, and they simply don't have it. So why do I say that? I say all of that to say that this passage, even though you may not consider yourself rich, does and should apply to everyone. And that immediate application for everyone is that you don't rely on the world. You have to rely on God. With God, all things are possible. That's true of the rich and the poor. That's true of everyone. It's not that that we somehow rely on ourselves regardless of where you are. You have to rely on God. Oh, by the way, and if it wasn't clear enough that it's not about just giving away everything, is Jesus somehow saying that all the people in this township are going to be with him forever because they don't have money and they're in a poor environment. And as a result, like we shouldn't even worry about those people. Like there's no need to spread the gospel. There's no need to try to help. They're all set because they're not financially capable. Or maybe it's Jesus saying that we should become more like that. Like everybody should go live. um, Everyone should go live in a township because that's, because somehow that that's easier to be with him. No, of course not. Of course not, Jesus. Jesus is saying this. Jesus is absolutely, though, saying that our love for him should be far greater in comparison with the things, the any things that we, that we hold most dear. He's calling all of us to deep devotion. That's big. That's big. And so it leads to the next big question, which is, in verse 26, and I'll read the question and the answer. In verse 26, it says, Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. So, of course, on hearing all of this, the people thought, If not even the rich can be saved, who in their minds presumably have some blessing from God, at least, again, at least in their minds, who can possibly enter the kingdom of God? 
Well, <laughs> yeah, it is impossible, but yes, it's doable. It's, no, it's possible with God, not by works, but by faith. And how does God make it happen? Jesus doesn't say it here, but he, he makes it very clear to us in other places in the Bible. And I want to walk you through that. This never gets old for me. Um, so, so we're, we're going to go through, like, how does God make it possible to be with him? And so I'm going to walk you through these verses. And the first one, to, to answer that question, and the first one is Romans 3.23, which says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This applies to everyone, the rich and the poor all from the beginning, from Adam, regardless of where, what you think you've done or how morally great you or I may think we are, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this actually leads to consequences. The consequences are taught to us in Romans 6.23, which, which, uh, which says that you know, because God is perfect and completely good and completely just, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is not just physical death, because everybody goes through that, but eternal death. Life apart from God forever. Again, for the rich and the poor. But now Romans 5.8 declares God, that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus paid the price for our sins. Jesus' resurrection proves that God accepted Jesus' death as the payment for our sins. So yeah, it is impossible. It is impossible with man. But it is absolutely possible with God because Jesus made it happen for us. And so we, we get to Romans 10, 9 through 10. It talks a little bit about the how. It's so easy. Not cheap, just easy. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because of Jesus' death on our behalf, all we have to do is believe in him, trusting his death as the payment for our sins, and we will be saved. Again, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're not earning your way to salvation through good works. It's all been made possible to Jesus. That's how it's made possible. It's not by a checklist, not by counting on our ability to do stuff as that rich young ruler may have thought, not by how well we think we're keeping the commandments, but only by the power of God. Now, as we reach toward the end of our passage, we have uh, verses 28 through 30 that say, there's Peter saying, see, you can always count on Peter to speak first, which is awesome. Uh, and Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more, well, I'm sorry, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. There are a few things going on here. In the days of Jesus, those who followed him were obliged generally to forsake houses and home and to attend them. So there was some of that. In our time, not often required that we should literally leave them. But it is 
always require that we love them less. That is our stuff, our everything, than we do him. And that we give up everything that's inconsistent with following Christ. Right, so it's just the difference between how we look to God versus everything else. Overall point, the theme, there are really issues, right? When you place others or other things like wealth or relationships before God. And again, those things aren't bad. They, they can be giant blessings, all from God, all from God. But not if you place them above God, all in the rightful place. There's a tension, though. There's always a tension. I mentioned it earlier, too. There's always a tension. Because living a life fully for God may mean radical change in terms of how you compare the value, and it does mean radical change in how you compare the value of Jesus to everything else. doesn't mean we can make sacrifices as a way of getting into heaven, but be encouraged, because if you are living in such a way that, uh, that you're making sacrifice for the sake of Jesus, you, you'll find that eternity is incomparably greater to anything you may have lost in the present age. So, it is about attitude and deep love towards Jesus, and it's about being open-handed. It's not your stuff, okay? It's not your people. It's simply not. Like, it's God's. Martin Luther said the following, which I think sums it up extremely well. I've held many things in my hands, and I've lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I still possess. I'm going to read it one more time. I've held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Martin Luther. So let's recap. And think a little bit more through the application. The attitude is that it's God's money. It's God's everything. We are managers. We are managers of everything he's given us. And how are we going to manage? Are we going to manage with open hands or with closed fists? This is a great question of our money, of our children, of our families. Are we going to try to control or are we going to try to manage well but rely on Christ knowing that all blessings come from him, the ultimate gift giver? Are we going to be thankful to him constantly? And so we end with what's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's a great starting point. And perhaps the starting point here is complete reliance on him. So let's make sure we go and put that into practice. Because I guarantee you that we're holding on to some areas of our lives a little too tightly. I'd love for you to take time during the next song to think through about an area of your life that you're holding on too tightly and where you need to recognize that it's, it's God's and that you're simply the manager. And let's see what happens when we manage them but know fully that they belong to God and they're in fact in God's hands. And then for those that don't know Jesus, know that upon hearing your answer, Jesus loves you and hearing your questions Jesus loves you and has a heart for you. And by simply knowing him, trusting him, and asking for his forgiveness available to all through his sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection, you will already have arrived at the same key questions that we started with. What must I do to inherit eternal life? 
or just as powerfully what is the chief end of man. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your graciousness. We thank you so much that Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins uh, and rose from the dead and is now uh, interceding on our behalf at your right hand. Father, we thank you that with man things are impossible when it comes to being with you, but you have made it possible. You have made the way clear and you have made the way accessible to all of us, Lord. And so I pray that for those that don't know you, uh, that they would take a step uh, today. And I pray for those that do, Lord, that, 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 we, that they and, and we would be examining our lives, that we would be living lives uh, that are worthy of your calling and that have you in the right place and have everything, all your gifts to us in the right place as well. And so it's with love and and. and, and it's with love that we pray and we thank you. In Jesus' name.